Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Graveside, everyone. And who is this? This disembodied voice coming to you through your headphones? It's me, it's Carlo. Um, and today, uh, we're going to be discussing a little story. Uh, oh, and I should probably say that here in this drawing room where I'm holding this little box with a, a weird little skull that rattles uh, is none other than Chris and Kurt. Hello, fellas. Hey, Carlo. Hello. Hey, you, you, I was going to scream right there, I but I decided that would be annoying on a object. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Blow out someone's eardrums. Yeah. Uh, I, I too own many strange objects and have many strange diversions, which I shall speak into the story that I'm about to tell you. Although it reminds me of a time in 1776, some number of years ago when I was sailing in India and a number of strange things occurred to me. And, and actually, this reminds me of a different story, which happened even earlier. <laughs> Anyway, yep, yep, yep. Uh, you, you definitely don't sound like you're trying to uh, distract yourself from, um, you know, from something <laughs> scary or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not at all. So we're going to be talking about um, The Screaming Skull by F. Marion Crawford, who uh, initially I believed uh, was Italian uh, because he was born in, uh, I forget, hold on, I have it here, in Bagni de Lucha, the Grand Duchy of Tuscany. Mm. Um, and I was going to say that he, you know, he's an example of Italian excellence, but I, I just think that he's not really Italian. He was born there. <laughs> but he was born to uh, American it says sculptor. He was the only son of the American sculptor Thomas Crawford. Yes, and Louisa Cutler Ward. Uh, also, his sister was also a writer. Hmm. So Mary Crawford Fraser. So we're, 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 were, were, so were they just like mixing and matching like the same two names? <laughs> <laughs> Mary, Marion, yeah. whatever. Crawford, Crawford. Sure, whatever. Let's do it. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I cut someone off. Oh, I was just going to say, so he was born in like the, the 19th century. Yeah. Like 1854. Okay. And, uh, and then he, he made it this, all the way to the 20th. from like 1904 or something, right? Well, yeah, he, he, uh, he died in 1909. So he made it to the 20th. Wow. Ah, the fucking skull got him. <laughs> well, you know, it's either that or, or, or you know, who knows? Who, who knows? Maybe, maybe on a on a on a on a um, ship uh, journey, and uh, the upper berth was haunted. Uh, which was the other? Uh, just just for for a little behind the scenes here for everyone listening in. Uh, we were between, or I was between uh, the two stories that are probably best uh, best known of of F. Marion Crawford, which is the Screaming Skull and the upper birth um and the mm. oh i've read the upper birth yep the 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 upper birth is very good 
Um, I do want to say, Carlo doesn't give us any choice in what we read. He just says, we're reading this, and then he hits us with a stick and, and beats us until we read it. I mean, that's the podcasting way. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it, basically, uh, the beatings will continue until the episodes in, episode uh, <laughs> until output the increases. <laughs> it, well, until the skull screams. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've done away with the oh. with the 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 lady singing. Uh, it's now the skull screaming. So anyway, the um, skull screaming. The, the lady skull screaming. So um, I, I was uh, before we started. I I I, I mentioned um, some of this to to Chris, and uh, I had I had not uh, th- the first time I came across this um, this author and particularly this story was uh way back in the uh, mid to early 90s when white wolf was trying to publish everything that they could apart from uh their 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 vampire the masquerade stuff um so Mm. so brief you know let's go back in time just briefly uh white wolf also had like a an actual um sort of publishing arm that was not just for the, for the, uh, the games. And they, they brought out a bunch of like, uh, reprints. Um, uh, they, they reprinted, uh, the Elric stories, um, like the, the Michael Moore. Really? Yeah. They had like these really great, uh, cover art and everything. Um, the, they reprinted, uh, the, collections of the Fritz Leiber Lankmar story. So like the Fafford and the gray mouser ones. Um, and they had like Mike Mignola art on the, on the cover. Ooh. Uh, Whoa, that's so sick. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, then they also, and I don't remember if this is simply, they revived it or they started it. Uh, there was a series, uh, an anthology series called borderlands. Uh, and I think it ran for, mm-hmm. I want to say like six volumes, if not more, it might, there might be more. I, I don't, I don't recall right now. Um, and, and uh, like I was, I had mentioned this to Chris before we started that Borderlands was really good. Like, like the, the, the quality of horror story and or weird story that you'd find in any one of those anthologies started at good and often would be great in a very weirdo, you know, sort of way, uh, which, you know, always great. Uh, always great to find new stuff out there that's just really good you know like good or or has you know weirdo or sicko energy to it so mm-hmm. um they, they're they're now available uh the the borderlands uh series anthologies are available through kindle if you if you decide to use the evil company um if you dare if you dare to open this small box and find Jeff Bezos inside of it. <laughs> oh my god. Could you, you imagine like you open the box and it's just like <laughs> it's not even Jeff Bezos' skull, it's just Jeff Bezos smiling up at you. It's like it's just hey, all you should him. just you should you should order, you should use the the, the prime uh, next day delivery. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, close the box, close the box. Uh that's more horrifying. And, and I, I, I will bury the Patagonia fleece <laughs> six feet down in the asparagus. <laughs> <pit>. <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, and one of the one of the reprint uh, was one of the reprints that White Wolf produced was um, this uh, collection of F. Marion uh, Crawford's uh, stories, uh, titled uh, "For the Blood Is the Life," which is another of his well-known weird stories. Um, For the blood is the life. We don't know what that might be. You know what the 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 subject matter of that story might be about. I don't know. It seems weird. Hmm. Maybe it's uh, immortal accountants. I don't know. Um, but anyway, hmm. we're going to be talking about the screaming skull, and this was also anthologized in um, the Vandermeer the Weird Collection, um, as well as as being available f- uh, on Project Gutenberg. So. Yeah, because this is public domain at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been been so for a while, I suppose. I believe anything before 1925 um, is a public domain. It might even be a little bit later than that now. Mm. But yes. Well, um, yeah, uh, in, in any case, um, so do we, do we, I mean, this is a very sort of vibes-based uh, mm. story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's cool. It's like it's kind of it's kind of corny a, l- a little mm-hmm. bit, like in a fun yeah. way. In a fun way, it's corny, it, like like in a good yes. way. And <laughs> that like there's still kind of like a Victorian hangover way, like like you know this early in the 20th century, mm-hmm. like there's still kind of those clinging to the Victorian like you know courtliness. Well, and and it's it's got yeah, it's it's like it's got like oh go ahead go ahead no no go ahead Kurt. Oh, I was say, it's 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 got the funny quality of to Chris's point, uh, a fancy lad who has studied well the diction of sea captains, or at least the diction of literary sea captains, and is putting on his sea captain voice. <laughs> and he's going to tell, oh, let me tell you about my screaming skull. Oh, the screaming skull I got. And and what 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 actually what it reminded me of the most is um the the grandpa simpson thing where he's like i was decided to go to morganville which is what they call shelbyville <laughs> in those days so i tied an yes. onion to my belt which was the style yeah. at the time now to take the ferry cost to nickel in yes. those days nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them give me five bees for a quarter we'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yes it reminded me of nothing so much as that yeah. where it's just like endless digression after digression yes. uh, I, um, and i also but, was thinking of a simpsons it, character the sea captain <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm yeah, not it's, a track such a funny vibe to it uh but yeah yeah like yeah. like i do i do love that um it, like, like you said uh kurt there are like a bunch of digressions and slowly slowly but surely we start unspooling exactly why all these digressions are happening mm-hmm. uh because you know like you know the, the, what is it um let me let me just go ahead and 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 read the beginning because i i really love uh and, and to your point chris it feels uh, like a more sedate and um and less immediately apparent that the narrator is unhinged mm-hmm. version of like the telltale heart yes yeah and uh so so let me go ahead and 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 just give you a taste of the beginning here I have often heard it scream. No, I am not nervous. I am not imaginative. And I have never believed in ghosts unless that thing is one. Whatever it is, it hates me almost as much as it hated Luke Pratt, and it screams at me. If I were you, 
I would never tell ugly stories about ingenious ways of killing people. For you can never tell but that someone at the table may be tired of his or her nearest and dearest. I have always blamed myself for Miss Pratt's death, and I suppose I was responsible for it in a way, though heaven knows I never wished her anything but long life and happiness. If I had not told that story, she might have been alive yet. That is why the thing screams at me, I fancy. And actually, this is like the most straightforward part of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I love yes, how the entire is. thing is direct address. Um, that it just works so well because it, yes. it really leans into the conversational tone of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you're sitting, also, like you're sitting um, alongside him, and he's telling you this story, but he's trying to also convince you he's not afraid of anything. Yeah. I, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> yeah, right. Go ahead, Kurt. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, 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 um, what something else I like about it is that it is, um, so obviously it is to Chris's point being addressed to you, the reader, and you are visiting the house of the screaming skull. But at the same time, a lot of the story is, um, the captain, I think his name is, uh, Braddock, maybe. I yeah, forget, I, so. I forget what you actually find out, but it ultimately is. Um, a lot of the story is him recounting a conversation with uh, Luke Pratt, um, uh, Chris Pratt's brother, presumably, um, and and Mama like, mia. like and, and uh, a and and an ominous meeting uh, between the two, and so it's got this interesting, like it's it's got that quality of that a lot of turn of the century literature has, I think, where it has a framing device and it sets it up. I, um, and then it's backs it off and is like, well, let me give you another frame. Oh, for instance, uh, Heart of Darkness does mm. this, I, I believe, where it starts off with like a guy telling you about a story that he heard. And he's like, well, let me tell you the story that I heard. But then the story that he's telling you itself is a framing device and, and is, you know, also has a speaker and you are the recipient. Mm. Um, and I think there's something very uh, effective and evocative about that. Because it adds like extra layers of obfuscation about like what is true and what yeah. is it like, like you're you're trying to read not only the cap not only the character of uh, Captain whatever the hell his name is, but you're also trying to understand the character of Luke Pratt. Where it's like, well, is Luke Pratt telling the truth, and is the captain telling you the truth about what Luke Pratt said? Like, is is this a lie through the truth or is the truth through the lie? Like, like it and it it gives it this nice quality of like. Um, as the story goes on, you start to figure out what what is true and what is obfuscation or or the digression. And I think it allows this neat mechanism towards the end where all of a sudden um, the, the the trap snaps shut. And it's like, oh, you now you are in story, mm -hmm. too. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a neat trick. And it makes very good use of that, like framing story within framing yeah. story. Uh, well, so, so also i like a good skull and i like a good sea yeah. cat, oh so. do, do you like to measure skulls uh kurt is that uh, <laughs> oh, oh, hey. so, uh, i i i think that's um this is the kind of stories that the fisherman was trying to harken back to um like that the, the yeah, kind of, oh, yeah, totally, yeah yeah totally so um a, a quick point of order uh you were i i believe you were correct the first time kurt it is captain charles braddock and that is a good sea captain name. <laughs> the very good sea captain. Very name. stolid. Uh, and uh, by all accounts, he was a very good sea captain, although a less good keeper of skulls. <laughs> a 
Yes, yes, sadly. Well, he keeps on tossing it out the window for one, you know. Um so so yeah, so the 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 idea here is that yeah he's he's telling you the story and then like every once in a while like in in the midst of a digression he'll go back to oh yeah yeah um y- you'll notice that there's something rattling around inside there mm-hmm. you know? exactly <laughs> so so um i i suppose we should probably get to like the i guess the germ of the story which is that yeah. uh, basically at the dinner table um luke pratt uh, when his uh, his uh, his wife is goes back into the kitchen, it confides that uh, to to Captain Braddock that he's positive that his wife is trying to poison him. And uh, in his own, like in another in another digression that isn't supposed to really answer anything. Uh, Apparently, Braddock mentions that, oh, yeah, there was uh, this one instance where, you know, um, the the uh, somebody uh, was finally accused of murder, but they only found out later because uh, they had, they'd been very careful and they poured like molten lead <laughs> into their ear. And you're like, that's fucking horrifying. Okay, not 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 the most subtle way to murder yeah. someone i feel like you would you'd be like this head's full of molten lead um i don't think that it's, it would be exactly be like well how how did their brains get all burned i don't know it's anybody's guess well, i'm also i'm also wondering like uh, what time period the actual story is happening in um yeah because like uh, like as as long as someone you know like and also this is what is it like a treadcomb it's like out in cornwall or like it's out in the country uh you know like somewhere in england you know like far away from the city right yes they have personal like watches they mention that but they mention it as if it's something special so i would guess probably like mid to late mid 19th century is what I'm is what I am imagining the the way that they describe seafaring Mm -hmm. feels like 1840s to 1870s and not not too far outside of that is my impression Mm -hmm. so basically because much before then you wouldn't you wouldn't have you know personal chronometers Mm -hmm. um and much after that it 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 wouldn't be a big deal to, to mention them you mean your your personal sundials severian (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly yes yeah you got to point the gnome on that uh, at the sun for it to tell time buddy um no well, well, I, it's one point carlo if i may I, I i believe the beginning when he says oh she's trying to poison me he's just making a joke about the bad food they're being served uh and so i think that makes it it's 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 a minor point but it's i think it's a subtly cool like it's he's you know it's it starts all starts off with a bad joke and how boorish this guy acts about his wife <laughs> oh i i see you've you've made this bad joke um perhaps you want a <laughs> method of murder <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like it's like uh you're the the worst rodney uh dangerfield you know <laughs> <laughs> no respect you pour you pour some lead in her ear and she keeps talking yeah anyway. pour some lead in her ear uh 
wait, I missed. What's what's what you say? Oh yeah, you pour some you pour some lead in your ear, and she says, "Throw it the rest of the way up," and I can't hear you no more. <laughs> you missed the other one. No respect. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Real there sweet. you go. We've successfully workshopped the Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> Even that out, so I can't hear you no more. Anyway, yeah. So, um, so then. Uh, so there is that whole thing. And then he keeps on like, di like um, in the middle of digressions. Oh yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll hear something rattling in there. You know, I've never really checked myself. I'm sure it's a rock or something, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like he also later yeah. on confesses like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, um, if it were an actual little uh, bit of lead that uh, came out, then, you know, that would really mean something yeah. and I would feel bad about it. So I, I I like that what this does is that there's there's truly not a lot of like plot to the story like it's it's and then like what plot there is is kind of really done away with very quickly with like you know I told the story about how people have gotten away with murder uh, my guy who hated my my friend who hated or I guess it was his cousin who hated his wife uh, decided to kill her that way but now ever since then uh, her skull has been haunting first the husband until his death and then to now the cousin who has inherited the estate and like but so like but that's all done within like a few sentences and the rest is just like this guy describing the sensation of living with this like with this screaming skull in a bandbox i'm not sure what that is but um yeah it's it, it, so it's it's an amazing writerly trick i think yeah, I mean it 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 it's really something because then uh Braddock becomes like this entire character, right? Mm -hmm. Um uh and you're sort of you're sort of forced to view the entirety of the story as as um as Kurt was mentioning previously through his like point of view and then try to figure out, okay, so what exactly, like sift through what exactly he's trying to say, what he's trying to hide, you know, and, and, mm. uh, you know, as it progresses, he, he reveals more and more, uh, in part because uh, my interpretation is that he's just, he's just like freaked the fuck out about this because he's, yeah. he's, he's also getting drunker. I think that, that, yeah, that's true. They're, they're doing Yes, they're, they're, and he's encouraging um, his guests to drink too. Um, yeah, I I like that quality of just the, the the rambling nature of it of like oh well well, well then maybe have it have another drink have another drink and let me tell you about the skull uh, and you know it's a wonderful skull it's a, the best skull you've ever seen it's perfect white oh the teeth are all great except for the two that are missing and that was probably my scurrilous Scottish uh, digger whatever <laughs> <laughs> what did he call him. A metrics is what the hell did he call him? Like, I, there was some particular term for like, I, if it was like a gardener, oh, this, but it seemed very focused on yeah, digging. Sexton? Yeah, yeah, sexton. This is like a great. Uh, that's a grave digger, right? Like that's yeah, basically uh, specifically for oh, yeah, for it? a churchyard. Oh. Um, so so uh, a point of order, a bandbox. Uh, from what Miriam Webster is telling me, is a usually cylindrical box of cardboard or thin wood for holding light articles of attire. Mm. So I'm guessing it's very similar. Like it would look like 
like a hat possibly box. a like a hat box exactly okay which which seems like a very funny thing but also like a very gendered <laughs> yes. right yeah, you're putting a, good... a skull inside a hat box yeah that's a good point <laughs> It's rather insulting. <laughs> right? I like all this stuff about insulting the skull. Like, oh, don't. God damn. What did he? What he? At one point, he chastises you, the reader, for uh, for for calling the skull something. And I wish I could remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Like he like called the skull a crumb bum. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you call a skull the crumb bum? <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no. He calls it like a fantastical bugbear. He's like, please don't, please do not call the skull a fantastical bugbear. <laughs> So also there's like weird um, instances where you as the the, the listener, right? Um, so there's another little part here because apparently the skull also seems to move on its own, which is mm-hmm. also like a, f- a fantastically creepy thing for an a supposedly inanimate object to do, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, as an aside, um, and no, I'm not actually, um, a very nervous person or very imaginative, but I will say that, um, uh, did any of you watch like the Amityville horror, which I, I know that that's a, that's a hoax and all that stuff, but the parts where like the, the weird ceramic lion would bite, uh, the, the, the guy's ankle that shit freaked me freaked me out because it's mm. like it's i guess it's like as a kid like you you have like these rules right like inanimate objects don't move or do things <laughs> <laughs> and so so there's this part here uh pretty early on too uh where apparently the um the skull has bitten you the listener it's like ugh there's a drop of blood on the upper jaw it's on the ice <laughs> ghastly isn't it mm-hmm. when i saw it running along the floor of the hall the strength almost went out of my hands and i felt my knees bending then i understood that it was the gale driving it over the smooth boards you don't blame <laughs> me no i should think not we were boys together and we've seen a thing or two and we may just as well own to each other that we were both in a beastly funk when it slid across the floor at you no wonder you pinched your finger picking it up. After that, if I did the same thing out of sheer nervousness in broad daylight with the st- sun streaming in on me. Strange that the jaw should stick to it so closely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how much of the story is just about like the skull being annoying. <laughs> like it's it's not no, no, I, but, <laughs> like, like I'm serious. Like it's not, it's, it's not, it's not very mysterious, right? Like it's very obvious to the reader for the most part what's going on from the beginning of the story. First of all, it's called the screaming skull, <laughs> and there's a skull that screams, and it's like, yeah, my friend was mysteriously bitten to death. <laughs> uh, check out this skull with the perfect jawbone. I wonder what that could be. Um, and, and I, I feel like so much of it comes back to the fact that like the, the narrator it clearly like to, to your point earlier, Carlo, like it's it, it, the, the, the narrator clearly understands what's going on, but it's like desperately trying to avoid thinking and talking mm-hmm. about it. Um, and so the whole of the story has this kind of like sort of Damocles hanging over it where it's like, clearly this is a killer murder skull. Um, and the whole time it's clear that the captain is going to get killed by the skull. But he's like, I'm resolutely not going to talk about that. I'm going to complain about the skull being mm-hmm. annoying. I'm going to complain about when I tried to get rid of the skull and it came back. I'm going to complain about my gardener. I'm going to complain about with the skull like bit my it, finger. It's some good old angle and, of avoidance. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it subsumes it into like it, not acting scared of the skull, but being like this fucking skull. Let me tell you about the skull I've got. It is the worst. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so annoying. It's always scooting all over the place. And anyway, uh, I murdered his dog. Um, oh, wait. No, no, no. That was his friend mm-hmm. that murdered the dog. His 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 friend that murdered the dog. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it. And it punctuates with like these brief realizations of like, okay, everybody, everybody in and reading this story knows this is a murder yeah. skull, <laughs> but we're just going to act like it's a regular annoying I, skull. I, I think that works. That definitely works to the, to the, uh, you know, um, to the story's favor because um, like the idea of a screaming skull is kind of like a ridiculous thing. Like that wouldn't really truly be like scary or anything like that, but like having it be entirely talked around makes it like it, the absence makes it scarier. Yeah, it's like something that would happen in the background of a Scooby Doo yeah. episode. <laughs> exactly. I, you can see this mouth going. Like, there goes that skull again. <laughs> that was in the intro to, to the Scooby Doo. Uh, remember the, the the skull would it would yammer at it. Yeah, that's right. So um, and then it goes, <laughs> and then they 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 zip away. Yeah, with the with the horrible running animation. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so so um, I mean, it, it, to your to your point, Kurt, it is it is funny because it is sort of like a a, a host of tiny annoyances and things that um, that just really don't let him sleep very well. He 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 can only sleep until what is it three a.m. where he has sort of put together that 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 must have been uh, the the time of death. Uh, 315 he says specifically okay, my mistake i keep on forgetting that uh that we have personal time pieces so he could be a bit more we must respect the personal time and the working hours of the skull oh you have to respect it's it's uh it's uh yeah, don't hours. don't be don't be doing any wage theft on <laughs> the screaming skull don't, okay don't don't dm the skull when it's, when it's out of the office <laughs> no emails to the screaming skull uh, on, on off hours. Um, but yeah, like it's a, it's a, it's a variety of tiny annoyances that, um, that, you know, the, the Braddock, uh, sort of details slowly, but surely throughout the course of the story, um, uh, you know, like the screaming, the fact that he, you know, it screams at three fifteen. the fact that it, it, <laughs> it will move around the fact that if he doesn't, um, put it in a specific cupboard um it will start you know like acting out and so on and so forth and and it's it's really um it's funny because all of these tiny things add up and he's he's obviously not having a good time of things yeah uh so you know yeah and it's 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 describing something horrifying by its absence in the description rather than tell you the horrifying stuff about the skull all of that is implied you 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 get the picture of someone who is annoyed at something that they should be horrified at and what is scary is the space that isn't filled mm-hmm. in by the description like the narrator is steadfastly refusing to engage with the seriousness of the mm-hmm. situation or or only describing the annoying parts about it and not the fact that it's a murderous skull. <laughs> yeah, and and so let's let's be clear here. It is a murderous skull because uh Luke Pratt uh dies um basically uh when they find him 
they can only find uh what was it like he had like bruising around his windpipe like on his throat um like something had pinched or bitten at it and it becomes clear as the story progresses that it was the skull <laughs> it basically clamped onto his windpipe and killed him <laughs> Uh, I would say it becomes instantly clear that it was the skull. <laughs> this, because one of the things I like about it is that the story never, by the way, never offers another explanation. Yeah. It, like, like, or when it does, it seems absurd. Where it's like, well, probably it was my gravedigger <laughs> who opened the skull box and replaced the seal so that I wouldn't know he had been messing with the skull. <laughs> yeah. Like. It's very clear what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, uh, or it could have been a stray dog just wandering about. You're like, hmm. Yeah. Given it, all the other stuff you're talking about. Or the wind. About. It was the wind. <laughs> the storm. It, it makes no bones about it. Uh, Ho, hey-o. <laughs> hey-o. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so uh, do we want to... I, I do also love... Uh, speaking of sort of the corniness of the story that you mentioned, uh, Kurt, one of the things that is uh, pretty hilarious to me that once we get to sort of like the normal sort of tapering off point where you couldn't possibly continue the conversation any further, um, the story has a hard break right at the end and gives you like a news clipping of like yes and uh captain charles braddock uh <laughs> dead uh you know dead from this did you notice what it doesn't say though what doesn't it say it doesn't say anything about about you mm. the reader it completely leaves you out of it so it's unclear what happened like did you did you leave did they know that you were there like what what exactly is 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 happening? Are you there? a prime suspect? Are are you the skull? <laughs> <laughs> what if the whole time he's talking to the skull, or it's a different skull, and he's like, "Have some, have some more sherry," and he's pouring this, oh my God. pouring the sherry in, like into the skull, and it just comes at the bottom. Hey, I've got this skull, hey, and the no. whole time that you're very offended, you're like, "I can't believe he's saying this stuff about skulls." It, no, I, I, I just also imagine like a very Lovecraftian uh, turn where it's like, and then he turned around and took off the wax mask and <laughs> fake beard, and it was the skull. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so what was it? Uh, uh, in part in 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 the. Um, in the article, it says it was an examination was made at once by the local practitioner, which revealed the horrible fact that the deceased had been bitten in the throat by a human assailant with such amazing force as to crush the windpipe and cause death. The marks of the teeth of both jaws were so plainly visible on the skin that they could be, <coughs> excuse me, they could be counted. But the perpetrator... Skull's got Carlo. Oh, no. Skull's got Carlo. Oh, no. <laughs> it's latched on my throat. I'm coughing. Um, could be counted, but the perpetrator of the deed had evidently lost the two lower middle incisors. It is hoped that this peculiar uh, peculiarity may help to identify the murderer who can only be a dangerous escaped maniac. <laughs> that is you, dear listener. You've been called an escaped maniac. Oh. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> oh, interesting. 
I don't know. I'm just I'm just uh, also uh, spitballing here because yeah. I mean, Kurt's right. Like you as the listener are not mentioned in any of this, but there is suddenly a murder suspect that they're looking for who's missing <laughs> two yeah. lower incisors. Yes. <sighs> so something something that stood out to me about this is that. This is something we don't often get that much anymore, which is a ghost story. Not not necessarily just a horror story in general or a piece of weird fiction. Specifically, it is a ghost story. Um, I am a big fan of uh, the author M.R. James, who who has written a number of ghost stories. It was like one of his, his big things. Um, but probably the best known ghost story to a modern audience... Uh, would be uh, the mm-hmm. Christmas Carol yep. is um, is a ve- very well known ghost story, and it was at the time um, the the style at the time was to um, tell ghost stories around Christmas, and and so there was a weird a weird to modern audiences this association with Christmas and kind that, of like hor- horror stories, a, effectively. A, to small point of order, uh, that's an old like that's a medieval tradition. So so yeah, really? yeah. I didn't know that. <clears throat> So, so apparently it was very customary, um, you know, in Christendom, let's put it that way. Um, in, in Europe, uh, you know, Christians would tell ghost stories around Christmas because, you know, it's the darkest part of the year. Because Christ was a ghost. <laughs> also, like, yeah, like, like there was like a weird, um, uh, I, I I haven't done any research on this. I'm just used like thinking about this off the top of the off the dome. But but there was like a weird uh, window near Christmas time where mm. um, the the dead were supposed to be you know like sort of free to roam the countryside. And you you did get a lot of ghost stories um, around that time uh, in in in. You know, it probably, uh, possibly as, um, sort of encouragements to turn to God because God could, you know, like if you could invoke the Lord or Jesus or, you know, say prayers, most of these ghosts would fuck off or would tell you what they needed and then you could help them, whatever it was. Um, and then they would fuck off, uh, and so on. <laughs> so um i like I, I like the idea of asking the skull like what do you need <laughs> fucking biting yeah right i need you to die you you caused me my death um anyway uh so so uh, my my last point was that uh dickens was basically doing it was being a big a return guy uh by writing a christmas carol because it was like a return to an older tradition hmm Anyway, yes, but but that would be like a Christmas Carol would be one of the best known uh, currently uh, Christmas ghost stories. Well, ghost stories, mm-hmm. period, uh, but yeah. specifically around Christmas. Um, but but yeah, like I, I think <laughs> you're right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the, just the, the reason I bring it up is because I think one of the commonalities between it is that it, it relies so heavily on like established cliche um like mm-hmm. y- you know when jacob and marley show up um sorry not jacob and marley <laughs> that's that's the muppet special <laughs> <laughs> when jacob marley shows up um <laughs> it's uh it's 
it's uh dude muppets christmas Carol is very good oh yeah um, oh, when yeah. jacob barley shows up it's just like oh it's he's, he's a ghost of the standard variety of ghosts um and there's very much that same sense in here where it's not like it's not really trying to construct an elaborate world it's not necessarily trying to establish a new concept it's like so you know screaming skulls right well <laughs> this is about one <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I would also say that um, to a certain extent, this is interesting because also um, some of the more modernized versions of, you know, ghost stories that we've seen these days, uh, the, the cliche is, in, in fact, you know, we need to help them, you know, complete some sort of they, they didn't finish their quest when they were alive. So we got to finish the quest for them, you know, and then that helps them move on. Right. And, and it's a very sort of weird. Um, I don't know. It feels like a very um, almost a self-help type of like self-help has leaked into the ghost story. And um, like there's a couple of instances where that is uh, completely flaunted. Uh, one of them, which was a delight, a surprise and a delight was actually um more explicitly ringu the 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 japanese uh version of the ring um where uh samara is not at all interested in moving the fuck on she is about destruction and chaos and killing as many people as she can because mm -hmm. <laughs> she's still fucking pissed yeah she wants to give the world what she has yeah, and so um, in in this story, uh, there isn't a placating uh, thing that can, I mean, <laughs> nothing that can forestall what is basically um, just rough justice, right? Mm -hmm. uh, justice being meted out to someone who um, basically visited a horrible death upon somebody, mm -hmm. and their ghost is just there to make sure that he dies. That's it. He he can't placate her. He can't, you know, help her move on. He can't. Yeah. There's nothing. There's no quest for him to help her. You know, like finish so that she can feel fulfilled. Do you do you think uh, the the Captain Braddock deserved to die like that? Do you honestly think he he caused her death? I think he thinks so. Well, I, I know he thinks so, but like morally, do we think he caused it? Um, that is a good question. I am unsure because I, I don't know. I, I took that as being a, a little ex extreme <laughs> on the, well, on the mean, skulls part. Let's the, the, come on now, screaming skull. You're going a little too far there. <laughs> oh, oh, you want a moderate uh, screaming <laughs> skull? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the thing. I think that that's that's part of the appeal of the story, right? Is mm -hmm. the fact that, um, that, uh, you know, the, I don't feel like the ghost in this ghost story has anything like it. It's, it's almost like an old, old, uh, Testament type of idea, right? Yeah. That, that ghosts are simply there to cause you, uh, you know, like they, they will, lead you away from god let's put it that way right mm, yeah um and and they're not there to you know they're they're not miss you know they're not sort of like uh mistaken it's not like a oh it was all a misunderstanding you know um 
I don't know. It, it, it feels like a very sort of return to form of like an older, an older type of ghost story, which, which I do appreciate because honestly, like every once in a while, I do want a ghost that just cannot, you, there's nothing it wants from you. <laughs> <laughs> except maybe you dying or suffering or being f- super afraid or something right so one of the things that i think works but, really uh, well yeah. about that is that um the way the story is written and the structure of the ghost story leaves uh, very little agency to anyone but at the same time it feels active mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's directly addressed to you is like you are actively participating in it um nobody has any agency though like the the captain braddock doesn't like he 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 can't really solve the problem it's done right like he can't it's not a question of can he bring peace to the skull it's just a question of you know is the skull going to kill him and the answer from the beginning seems fairly likely to be yes um but the the kind of wandering, meandering nature of the story, the way it's written, like the actual prose, gives it the sense of surprise and movement. But it's not the movement of the plot, it's the movement of you through the process of discovery, right? Like, because around any corner could be, uh, around any turn of phrase could be a new development in the story of what you you, the reader, are doing right now at that moment or what the captain is doing right now at that moment. Um, and because it's digressive, it's almost like you're wandering through a maze and suddenly you go, Oh, I've stumbled upon like, like an essential fact. And that makes up for the fact that, you know, I, I, I think it would be easy to criticize this story as like, well, nobody does anything in this story, right? Like everything's already happened. You know, Captain Braddock uh, goes mm-hmm. upstairs and gets yeah. the box. So that's that. And that's it. That's, that's the only thing that really happens in the story but it doesn't feel that way because it's it's almost entirely internal um it's mm-hmm. just you know it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's a conversation and and what it implies um and that makes it feel active and it feels like this agency even though again like nobody really does anything yeah there's yeah carla do you remember when I, I was like looking for the link to read the story i was like which is screaming skull and i was like that, the title is very familiar and you know why it is because this story was then sort of adapted in the fifties, uh, mm. as an American and international picture, like the, like a cheapo, it was like a, you know, cheapo part of a double bill and it eventually became an episode of mystery science theater 3000 that I have seen. And it's a classic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Oh, the screaming skull. So I was kind of hoping you were like, Oh, let's just do a random MST three K episode. But, uh, <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting because I I do re- remember the movie a bit, and um, it it updates it to modern day, so it takes place in the fifties, and it's it's but it ha- kind of has the same themes, but it definitely doesn't even attempt to capture the whole like you know you being told the story aspect. Um, but it's like a guy trying to like he has a new wife and he brings him to the, his house and he's like scaring her with this screaming skull that pops up out of the fountain and and. Uh, <laughs> He, because there, there's something where he's like trying to get her fortune or something like that, and but then like, he actually did murder his ex-wife, and it's so she's actually a ghost there. It's 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 kind of crazy, like it's it's um it's but it has kind of the same kind of themes of like you know husband so, you know domestic turmoil and murder and so shades shades of Bluebeard, but also yeah um 
probably what I can only imagine is a uh, a rather cheap practical effect oh, of a screaming it rules. skull. It rules. <laughs> you can, it's, you, I mean, you can see the straight because it's it's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. You know what else it's like? I, you know what? I, I have to look it up. Go ahead. Oh, the other thing it's like is, um, and I, I have to wonder now if this is intentional or just uh, or just happenstance. Um, is uh, the episode of the Venture Brothers called Ghost of the Sargasso, where um, mm. Major Tom <laughs> yeah. dies upon reentry <laughs> and returns as the Screaming Skull, like Flame Ghost, um, yelling and screaming about uh, his 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 widow uh, getting remarried to the Action Man. Um, and, uh, and, and he constantly appears and just starts screaming and it's ultimately resolved where, um, they, they go and get his widow and, and she's like, I'm happy now. I'm married to the action, man. Everything's fine. And, and I forget what happens. Like Brock Sampson, like comforts him because, oh, it's fine. But I, I, I don't know. Some, some manly Brock Sampson, uh, thing. Uh, but like now, now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if that's an intentional reference or if it's just like there's just a lot of screaming skulls in, in things. Uh, who, who knows? I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that'd be the screaming skull, but for the space age. Um, you, you know, that, that, that sort of you, you suddenly reminded me uh, now that I'm thinking about the screaming or not screaming skulls specifically, but space age weird, uh, weird shit mm-hmm. is uh, the, the, the conqueror worm uh, storyline in, in Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Where it's basically the the Nazi scientists had sent up a rocket to basically become <laughs> right. the the astronaut to become a host for a horrible cosmic entity. <laughs> yes. So yeah, muy interesante. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I I, I really um, I'm glad that I revisited this, this revisited this story. I don't know why I added an extra syllable the last time. Um, but but yeah, like it's 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 a lot of fun to read, and and I think you're absolutely uh, correct, Kurt. That that part of the fun of reading it is that it it you it, you are invited to almost be. Um, it's not even really a detective because you're just list yeah like you're you're you can't really ask the the character any questions but but it's like it's like if Columbo didn't have to ever ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> just, In fact, just it's one, a reverse Columbo. Thing, He's like, just one more thing. Let me tell you about my ah. my voyage. Let me <laughs> one more thing about my confession. I want to tell you about the voyage to you know past the Horn of India, and you're like, I, I got I got everything I need, fella, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to to piece together the mystery. Um, which, which now that you men- now that I mentioned that, like the, the, <laughs> the title of the, of the story itself feels like it's, you know, X and the, the case of the screaming skull, you know, uh, it, it has a very pulp sensibility to it. I don't know. It does. It's, it's fun. It's a good story. It's very well written. It's written in, it's like, uh, it's somewhat vernacular in the way it's written, um, but it's, I think it's very well done. It's fun. It's like a little bit funny. It's, it's eerie. It's, it's even like a little bit cutesy in a way. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 
It's one of those things where you read it and you're like, this is cliche, but it's cliche because this is the cliche. Like the reason that people write write Mm -hmm, stories about screaming skulls is because of this story. Um, But at the same time, it's got, Mm -hmm. I feel like whenever you encounter one of those, it's got weird characteristics that get left behind. In this case, it's like the whole sea captain thing. I don't know. It's just, it's got a lot going for it. I like a monologue. It's a big, weird monologue. I like digressions. I like, I like goofy weirdos. It's got a lot of those. So um, I, I like this. I will say, I feel like it could have been shorter. I don't know that it would have been any better mm-hmm. being shorter, mm-hmm. but it is, it is surprisingly long for a monologue about a screaming skull. <laughs> well, I mean, mm-hmm. but that, I think that that's really to your point, the, the, the way it's written really um like like i i agree there is a moment i think near almost the end especially where he's like and let me tell you about how you can never find help <laughs> the, the last the last woman that that was here to help me she she went off and married the sexton the same guy that was digging around in my garden <laughs> um so anyway um I think you're 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 right that there is uh like a point around that that point in the story where it feels like it's dragging a little bit but also it's it's you know like it's the the, the fact that Crawford's been able to sort of keep juggling and keep everything up in the air th- for this long <laughs> really is a testament to the the style and the structure that he's used throughout the story mm-hmm. and and really it's it's nothing but but you know like to his favor yeah it's well executed um, yes absolutely um i guess we should probably talk about last thoughts if if we've got any anything else ah is my last thought <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Indeed. We need to insert a Wilhelm scream here just to, you know, we need to give uh, equal, e- equal airtime to the screaming skull and have its, you know, sort of point of view. Um, just like a, a 45 minute. Yes, I, I must, I must hear the, sc- the, the, the screaming skulls, um, unlived experience, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Unliving experience. Yes. Excellent. Um, I am marginalized. I have a marginalized identity. What's your marginalization? I'm dead. I'm dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> although, although statistically, if anything, the living are more marginalized. But do we ever do we ever pay attention to the dead after they're gone? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> Here they are screaming out into the wilds. No one pays attention. You know what I did uh, when anyway. I heard the screaming skull? I sat my ass down and I listened. <laughs> there we go that's it good night <laughs> good night folks that is that is the line of the of the episode thank you uh kurt thanks for listening in uh, for for reading and offering that amazing amazing take uh we should all do uh, as you do and follow follow on your example and just you know if a screaming skull is out there just sit down sit your ass down and listen chris um also thanks for for reading glad you enjoyed it um and and thanks for for talking to me about this uh weird little story and to everyone out there thank you for listening we will not be screaming in your ears that would be rude 
but we'll catch you next time here at Graveside.